Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hello, you're listening to Bay Curious. I'm Katrina Schwartz, in for Olivia Allen Price. Friday is trash day in my neighborhood. So come Thursday night, this is me. I know I can do glass and aluminum. It can be kind of stressful to figure out what can and can't be recycled. Half the time, I'm just guessing. This part's a little trickier. I mean, this is a clamshell, uh, like, to-go container from when we had Ethiopian food. It kind of has the feeling of that compostable, like, made-out-of-corn material. But when I look on the bottom, it does say number five, which means I think it's a plastic and should be recycled. A lot of us try to recycle, but are we doing it right? And do our efforts matter? Listener Paul Beach lives in Oakland and is very committed to recycling. So he was disturbed when he heard a rumor. I had heard somewhere that, oh yeah, they're just taking the recycling and they're dumping it in the landfill. And I was like, okay, first off, that really irritates me because, you know, I'm going through all the sorting exercise. He wants to know... How much of our recycling actually gets recycled? His question won a voting round on baycurious.org, which means he's not the only one wondering... Ooh, an olive container. And it says seven. I'm not sure that's going to get recycled. On today's show, we're going deep on recycling. We'll get practical about what you can and can't put in the blue bin each week and what happens to it after you do. All that coming up. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 
When it comes to recycling, there's a lot of guilt and blame going around. But the thing is, whether or not something actually gets recycled into a new useful item often isn't up to us. Here to help explain the complex recycling ecosystem is Monica Lamb, senior producer of the TV show KQED Newsroom. She made a documentary called California's Plastic Problem not too long ago. So, hi, Monica. Hi, Katrina. Okay, so there have been some news reports in the last few years that a lot of what we are so carefully recycling is actually ending up in the landfill. And understandably, that's got folks like our question asker, Paul, wondering what's going on. Well, the good news is California has one of the highest recycling rates in the country. In the year 2020, which is the most recent year that we have full data, we recycled 42 percent of our waste stream. That's according to CalRecycle, which is a state agency that monitors and measures our trash and recycling. Most glass, metal, and paper are reliably recycled. Here in California, we are using close to 700,000 tons of recycled glass every year. Aluminum scrap fetches about $1,500 per ton. And paper also gets recycled. There's a lot of recycled paper products out there that you probably see. Cardboard boxes, paper bags, uh, paper itself, toilet paper. So there's a market for those materials. Okay, so that's all really good. Um, I guess it always gets tricky when it comes to plastic. I mean, I find plastic the most confusing when I'm sorting my own recyclables. Yes, I also feel really confused when it comes time to recycle my plastic. And even after spending almost a year studying and reporting on it, I'm not sure I have all the answers. So the bad news with plastic is that most of it is not getting recycled. Both in the state of California and nationally, uh, the EPA took a look at these numbers. The studies suggest we recycle only about 9% of the plastic that we use. That means 9%? 90% is actually ending up in landfills. So we all interact with plastic all the time. I mean, a lot of our food is wrapped in plastic. Our phone cases are made of plastic. If you buy your kid a toy, it'll be wrapped in plastic and probably made of plastic. I mean, how do we get to this point where plastic has kind of taken over our lives? Plastic is incredibly versatile as a material. It's waterproof. It's very light. It's very durable. It lasts for a really long time. It can be shaped into all kinds of different forms and colors. In fact, when chemists first started playing with plastic chemicals and sort of inventing different kind of plastics, it was a wonder material. There is some great footage I found in the Library of Congress from a film from 1952. There's my vinyl plastic shower curtain and cap and my new hairbrush. Your refrigerator is full of plastics, too. My refrigerator? And there are a lot of instances where plastics have been a perfect replacement for other materials. And these uses are becoming greater every day. But what makes plastic so versatile is also what makes it a problem when it comes to disposal. It doesn't really go away. It doesn't really break down. Mostly it breaks into smaller and smaller pieces and turns into what what we call microplastics. In fact, there's a whole emerging scientific field devoted to studying microplastics because scientists are starting to find it in the air we breathe, in the water we drink, in all kinds of food. And there was a recent study that found microplastics in the placentas of pregnant women. So it's getting into our bodies and into the cellular level. That is terrifying. And it makes it clear that a lot of our plastics are not getting turned into something new and useful. I mean, what did you find when you looked into this further? 
So I've visited a couple of different recycling centers, and one that I went to in Milpitas uh, is run by Republic Waste, and they gave me a tour of the recycling center, and it's it's amazing looking. It's huge, and there are conveyor belts whizzing everywhere. They have optical sorters where the machine has a, some kind of way of seeing what's on the conveyor belt, and it picks up all the different kinds of plastics. They have all kinds of cool, high-tech sorting machines. And they also have a lot of people there to help make sure the machines run smoothly. But most small plastics don't end up getting sorted at all. They sort of end up falling into a collection area for all the stuff that the machines couldn't figure out what it was. Another problem with the system is that most of the conveyor belts are black. So black plastics, the machines can't see it. They can't distinguish it from the conveyor belt that it's whizzing along on. And they whiz by fast. But there are a lot of kinds of plastic. I'm always confused about those numbers on the bottom. So which ones are the most likely to get recycled? All of the beverage containers uh, that that typically we get our drinks in, those are getting recycled, and I consider them a success story. So this includes bottled water, soda, juice, um, aluminum cans for soda and beer. If you look on the side of the bottle, it'll say California 5 cents or 10 cents redemption values. That program's been really successful. It's been in place since the late 80s. And a lot of the plastic in, in, say, water bottles and juice bottles are made with number one plastics. You turn the bottle over on the bottom, you'll see a little triangle with a one inside it. And in fact, A recent law was passed to increase the recycling rates of that kind of plastic. Assemblymember Phil Ting, whose district includes San Francisco, he wrote this law that says all new plastic beverage containers need to have a minimum amount of recycled plastic in it. What he's trying to do with that law is create a marketplace for these recycled plastics. It means anyone who's making a new bottle is going to need to go out and buy recycled plastic. Okay, so it sounds like um, Phil Ting's law is aimed at number one plastics that have the one in the triangle on the bottom. Are there other kinds of plastic, you know, with different numbers that are getting reliably recycled? Yes. Um, Another success story, I think, is number two plastic. Some typical places where you'll see number two plastic are in shampoo bottles, lotion bottles. It also is seen in those milk jugs, those plastic milk jugs that are slightly translucent. They're not quite clear, but they've got kind of a milky white color. When I went to Republic Waste Services in Milpitas, the vice president of sustainability, Pete Keller, gave me a tour and he took me over to a section where there were these bales of number two plastic. And this is what he said about it. These materials are non-pigmented. So any downstream consumer of this material could turn it into any color they wanted to. Okay. So in today's marketplace, uh, this is the most valuable commodity that we produce at, at this location. In fact, it's the most valuable commodity we produce anywhere in the country. And because of that demand in the marketplace today, this is trading for over a dollar a pound or over $2,000 per ton. Wish we had more of it. Okay, so we covered number one and number two type plastics, but what about like numbers three through seven? Are those recyclable? I think the markets for those plastics are much smaller. And it depends on the city or county where you live. Some recyclers work really hard to try and find buyers for that material. Um, Recology in San Francisco, for example, has someone whose job it is is to try and partner up with end users who will take that recycled three, five, or seven and make it into something new. The problem with plastic is there are thousands of different kinds of plastics out there that don't have any numbers on them. The real problem there becomes how do you sort all of this out? That does sound tricky. How do they deal with it? 
when I went to the recycling center, we were on the tipping floor, which is where the big trucks, after they've left your neighborhood, they come and dump all their stuff onto this floor. And there was a mountain of stuff. And I asked Pete Keller, how many different kinds of plastics are in there? And he said, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of different kinds of plastics. And there is no way for them to sort it all out. And then products with mixed materials, those are a real challenge. When I was there at the recycling center, Pete Keller picks up this bottle out of this huge pile of stuff and he holds it up and it is a hand soap dispenser, the kind with a pump that you press to get the soap out. This is just an example of some common household product. I'm not trying to name names here, but literally three different types of plastic, one, two, three, with a metal spring inside. So that's just one common product made of four different materials. Five of you include the label. Okay, so you've laid out some of the problems here. There's all these different types of plastic, many of which don't have an end market, aren't even in that very confusing numbering system. They're just out there on their own. So what happens to it all? It goes straight to landfill. And according to CalRecycle, Californians fill up 219 Olympic-sized swimming pools every day with just discarded plastic. By the way, a lot of products that are made of mixed materials, they cannot be recycled. So some examples are juice boxes or those square containers that uh, chicken broth often comes in. It looks like it's made out of a kind of cardboard on the outside, but when you peer inside it, you'll see like a plasticky liner or almost a foil-looking liner inside it. Those materials, because they're all kind of glued together, those cannot be recycled. The square cartons that milk comes in, it's a blend of paper and that has been imbued with plastic. The way someone described its manufacture to me is like they take pieces of cardboard and then they blast it with plastic so that the, the paper is sort of plasticized. So the two materials are so effectively blended together, there is no way to recycle it. What about, like, Amazon packaging? Because, you know, when I get something in the mail and it's in one of those flexi packets, it actually has the recycling symbol on it. So is that recyclable? That actually makes me kind of mad. On the side of this plastic mailer, there are the triangle-shaped arrows that evoke recycling. But if you look inside the triangle, it says store drop-off. To me, that is very cynical. This item cannot be recycled. All of the waste haulers I spoke with said they cannot recycle plastic bags, plastic mailers, those those puffy little plastic things that um, you get when you order something online. They cannot be recycled. So that brings up a question for me. Where does corporate responsibility come into this? Is there any pressure being put on companies to use materials that actually are recyclable or compostable? There's actually movement on that. Uh, Recently, California passed a state law that prohibits misleading labeling. It won't kick into effect right away, but you cannot put a recycling symbol on your product unless it is on a list of actually recyclable things, and that list is going to be generated by CalRecycle, the state agency. So there's a new law addressing that. Um, There's also a new state law that passed, SB 54, that is going to try and put a lot more of the responsibility on plastic producers. What this new law says is that by the year 2032, all single-use plastic packaging and foodware has to be recyclable, reusable, refillable, or compostable. And when they say recyclable, they mean it actually is getting recycled. And what's so frustrating is that so many of the problems you've identified are outside of our control as individuals. I mean, these are systemic problems with the plastic market and the manufacturers and the companies that ship things. 
So given that a lot of this is outside of our control as individual consumers, what kinds of things would make the biggest difference here? If manufacturers could narrow down the number of different types of plastic they use when creating packages, that would really help. If they could also figure out how to make their products easier to sort at recycling centers, that would also really help. I think this new state law is really trying to put more of the burden onto the producers of the plastic. It's asking all the industries to get together and create a plan for how they are going to achieve this goal of everything being recyclable or reusable by 2032. And it's also going to ask that they pay a tax. These industries are being asked to pay $500 million every year for the next 10 years or longer to help fund solutions and help deal with environmental justice problems that can be created by the manufacturing or the disposal of plastic. What else can we do? Individual action does matter. So you can vote with your pocketbook. You can try to buy products with less packaging. Okay, so it sounds like in answering Paul's question about what is recyclable now, um, it's a real mixed bag. The metals, the glass, the paper, that's all getting, for the most part, recycled. And even some of the plastics are getting recycled, like the number ones and the number twos. But it's this mixed use, mixed materials that are really the problem. And there we have some work to do. But there are entrepreneurs doing good things. So I don't know. I feel a little bit hopeful. What do, how, what do you think? I think we didn't always use this much plastic in our lives. So there's got to be a way of going back to using less of it. And I think there's a lot of alternatives out there. We can use glass containers instead of plastic containers. We can use real uh, metal forks and knives. Um, we can use cloth bags to hold our belongings. We can use personal water bottles instead of single-use, throw-them-away-when-you're-done beverage containers. And I think we really should push manufacturers to do better, to really think about what is the overall life cycle of any product that they create so that it's not just on our shoulders as consumers and individuals and citizens of this world to figure out what to do with things. All right. That's Monica Lamb. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Monica's amazing documentary called California's Plastic Problem is on KQED Newsroom's website, or we'll put a link to it in our show notes. If you haven't voted yet, there's still a few days left until the election. And if you need help figuring out the difference between those two gambling props, or you're wondering why dialysis is on your ballot yet again, be sure to check out our Prop Fest series. You can find all those episodes in the Bay Curious podcast feed. Bay Curious is produced by Amanda Font, Olivia Allen Price, Brendan Willard, and me, Katrina Schwartz. Our social video intern is Darren Tu. Our show is a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's Trivia Game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. 
Good luck. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.